Um, we are a two-laptop family, as you can see. What we're going to do, we're going to go through this, this hymn uh, kind of verse by verse. So we want to, first of all, if it's possible to get the first four lines up uh, before the throne of God above, that's it. Perfect. That's great. Um, and we're just going to, so Lou and I will go between uh, the different, some of the different words throughout the, the, the hymn and kind of try and unpack it a bit for you. Uh, and we may interrupt each other from, from time to time just to check that we're... Um, I don't know, in case we say things that are wrong or need a bit of clarifying. Um, that's what we're going to do. So first of all, the first question really, what is the throne? What is this throne that we're talking about? Um, when we say, before the throne of God above, I have a stronger perfect plea. What, what's that talking about? Well, uh, it's helpful, first of all, to think about the throne. What is this throne? Um, when we look at Revelation 4, we actually get a bit of a picture uh, of what this throne is about. Okay, I'm just going to kind of read part of that of Revelation 4 kind of quickly. You can turn to it if you, if you like, but I'm um, just going to skip through it quickly, but just picking out some key bits. Uh, it says this, I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and there was one seated on the throne. And around the throne, there were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. We've got an ox. We've got one with the face of a man. We've got uh, one which is like an eagle. We've got one which is like a lion. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around, day and night, never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And it says the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. This is quite a picture, isn't it? If you think about it, we've got these creatures which are kind of just beginning to describe a little bit of what they are, but there's, they've got eyes in front and behind, they've got wings, there's this kind of, like, slightly kind of uh, just scene that's hard for us to even imagine, and it's powerful, and it's awesome, and you've got these elders on thrones bowing down before the one who's on the throne, it's like, okay, this is, an, this is a kind of an intimidating picture, I think, it's not one that you would just casually walk up to and join in with, it would be one that you'd be like, what is that, you know, can I even approach this? Uh, Revelation 5 goes on, it says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within, and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. But then one of the elders said to me, Weep no more, and behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So we've got this picture of this awe-inspiring place with the throne, one seated on the throne. And then we've got this scroll. We're not going to go into what that is uh, particularly, but there's, there's something that needs to happen that, only, uh, that they're looking for someone worthy to open this scroll. And they find no one because no one is worthy to. If you skip back to Isaiah 6, there's a moment where, you don't have to skip back, but just imagine, there's the, um, Isaiah says, he comes before the throne, and what's his result? He says, woe is me, because I've got unclean lips. He's, he understands, he's like, he comes before the throne, it's like, woe is me, I've got nothing here. Woe is me. 
Okay. So this is the picture of the throne. So how then, when we read Hebrews 4, uh, can we say, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace? You know that in Hebrews 4? Let us then approach the throne with confidence. Before the throne of God, I have a stronger, perfect plea. How can we have this picture of an awe-inspiring place that feels intimidating? And Isaiah said, woe is me. I can't. No one's worthy to open this scroll. And then on the other hand, we've got, we can draw near with confidence. Okay, this is the tension we've got to think about and as we, with this song. Well, the great thing about it, actually, is that it talks about, it, it basically um, unpacks how we can hold these things in tension and how we can come before the throne. And that's what the song is going to go forward to do. But first of all, before we even get there, it helps us see that we're all on one level, actually. When we come and we approach God, it's not that some are qualified and some are not qualified. It's not that some are privileged enough to come and some are not privileged enough to come. It's not that some of us are good enough and some of us are not good enough. We're all at a point where we need rescue. So if I read my Bible more than someone out there, does that mean I can come to God more than them? That's a good question. And yes, just, just lose asking, what, you know, is it that we attain a certain amount of things that are then qualify us to be able to come before the throne? It's, that's not how it works. It's not that, that's not our starting point. Um, and I bet when you go into, the, uh, into a, a worship time, into the big top tonight, I, I bet there's all sorts of things that you carry with you, that sense of, I've done this today. I'm not sure if I'm able to come or you look at somebody else and go they are on they're reading their bible all the time they know way more than i do i see them you know i've heard that they pray at five o'clock every morning and i could never do that you know these sorts of things they're they're definitely better more worthy to come before the throne uh, than i am but that's not the case we are all on the same place we all uh, need uh, we all need rescue the bible says in romans 3 23 it says all have sinned all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god now, this, is, this obviously is a somber thing to begin with. We've all, we're all in a place of needing rescue. We all sin. And we all experience injustice. We all see it around us. Uh, we see wrongdoing by other people. It's, I'm sure if we think about, you know, can we think about places where we see injustice and want wrong things to be put right? It's not hard to think of that, is it? It's not hard to go there and place that uh, in other scenarios. Uh, you might think, you know, of, uh, of Hitler or uh, child abusers or something. You know, you go there to those kind of things. It's easy to do that. But we know deep down that actually we can't just point the finger elsewhere. We have to look into our own hearts as well and see that there is wrongdoing, see that there is sin in all of us. We have to do that. And we know that things are not right. And we know that the, hum- the human race is not right. We- it goes all the way back to when Adam and Eve decided, you know what, I'm not sure we're going to trust you, God, in the way that we should. You've told us, don't eat from this tree. But now this, this, this deceiver, is, this, this one is saying, ah, maybe you should actually think twice. Maybe God doesn't, you know, do you really need to listen to him? Maybe give that a go. And there's a- at that moment where they took the fruit, there's a sense in which now, rather than saying, God, I trust you, you know best, it's like, actually, no, I think... I think maybe somebody else knows best and the the attention gets turned in a different direction. We're hardwired to worship. We're hardwired to to give praise and glory to something and that should be God but at that moment the attention gets turned and that's been the case for us, for the human race ever since then. Uh, We all find ourselves putting our trust in something and and it can very easily be something apart from God. Yeah, it's good. 
I don't, yeah, I was just wondering if any of you can think of moments when that's happened or moments in your life. Like, I know sometimes I might be in a really good place with God, feel like, yeah, I'm on it, I'm on this thing. And yet, there's still a part of me that gets distracted or prioritizes other stuff over putting Him first. Have any of you got things that you can think of that's like that right now? You know, it might as well make sense to us right now. Is there stuff, even today, that's causing your attention? to be drawn away from God first. Obviously, we can look at other things, not just God. But, you know, it's like where our heart is. Who's got your heart today? And, um, and also things that maybe we've given to God and then we've landed here today and we go, but you're not quite answering my prayer quick enough. So I'm going to be a bit like Adam and Eve and I'm going to try and be God myself again, take it back on myself. You know, actually God wants us time and time again to bring those things and keep bringing them back to him. I know for myself, there's, there's stuff that I've given to God and I thought, yep, yeah, I've, I've handed it over. And then I've found that maybe God hasn't come quick enough or he's not given the answer that I quite want him to give me. And all of a sudden, I like begin to kind of take that back into my own hands. And so actually God's saying, no, I want you. I want you to be mine. And that's the starting point right here. So. That's great, great. So we've got this, this place that we're all in. We need rescuing. But here is the good news. Uh, we have a saviour. Uh, his name is Jesus, and he is the one who is before the throne. So the one who is worthy uh, to take the scroll is the one who now is before the throne praying for us. Um, Jesus Christ, who died and was raised, is before the Father interceding for us. That's from Romans 8, uh, verse 34. I'll say it again. Jesus Christ, who died and was raised, is before the Father interceding for us. So just a quick kind of Old Testament fill-in. Before Jesus came, uh, there, God did make provision uh, for, for his people to come before him. There was, a, there was provision uh, kind of made for, uh, for people through, through a sacrificial system. And um, we won't get into kind of all the details of that. But, but basically, animals had to be killed. Blood had to be shed uh, for, the, for the human to be able to uh, come near to God, to be able to have some sense of forgiveness of sins, some sense of reconciliation with God. And we can read about it more in in, uh, in the Old Testament, especially in Leviticus. Um, but um, here's the thing: it couldn't attain a perfection. It could never attain perfection. It's only through Jesus and His once and for all sacrifice uh, that um, that this that, that the work could be a perfected work um, that is once and for all, not time and time again. Now, how is it? How does this work? But the thing is, so the weight of sin is so great that the price had to be paid by one who was perfect. But the guilty party is man. It is man that needs forgiveness. So how does this work? It's man that needs to pay the price. So none but God can make it, but none but humankind ought to make it. So what happens? Well, God, uh, the, the Son of God, who has been with the Father from before the beginning of time, forever, for eternity, forever, always God, the Son, he became human. He took on human flesh. Now, this wasn't a, he once was God and then he kind of changed into a, into a human and then he's changed back to be God again. No, we're taught that uh, he was fully God and yet fully human. Now, that again is a huge one and uh, that's a good thing to, to think, I should read more about that. Definitely do that. But for now, this is what's happened. God, the Son, has taken on human flesh. Uh, and because of him doing that, he was able to pay the price as God, but he was able to represent us as mankind. And that's how that works. So we get to then partake in that. And he is the one in the, who is now um, 
this second line, I have a stronger perfect plea. That is Jesus, this one we've just been describing, this one who took on human flesh, uh, interceding before the Father for us. This perfected work, this complete work uh, that now allows us uh, to be able to come. That's, that's what qualifies us. That's what qualifies us as we come before the throne. Now, um, just something I want to bring out quickly, um, which is helpful when we think about what, who Jesus is to us. It's very easy to think about Jesus being an example to us, somebody to follow. And that's certainly a good thing. Uh, but it isn't the main thing. Okay, And I want to try and illustrate this to us. It's, um, it's not the main thing. The main thing is that he is a gift to us. I remember Joel saying a few years ago, those bracelets, what would Jesus do? It would be better if it said, what did Jesus do? Jesus did something that allows us to come. Again, that doesn't mean we can't read about Jesus and think, I'm going to try and emulate some things. But let me just, um, can you just hold this for a sec? Yeah. You can say something if you want. Hello? I don't need to say anything right now. We're all waiting with anticipation. Babe, have you actually tried this top on before today? Oh, good. I was hoping it wasn't going to be a bit tight. So, you know what I'm wearing, right? Yes, I'm wearing... So, who, who watched the World Cup? Anyone here? Brilliant. Anybody like massive football fans? A few. Okay, all right. Okay, well, hopefully this won't They were when we were with Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so I just want you to picture a minute. Harry Kane says, I want to come to your house, and I'm going to teach you how to take a penalty. Who would, who would like that? Anyone? A few. Okay, good. I'd not, quite like that. Not, okay, cool. Huh? So imagine what happens. Okay, Harry comes around, he comes into your garden, we set a big goal up, there's a great goalkeeper in the goal, and, he's, and he talks you through the basics. Where to place the ball in the goal? How is it most likely that you're going to be able to score? I think he'll teach you about the mental stuff, like how to keep yourself calm, all of those things, you know, all of that stuff, how to prepare, how to kick the ball harder. Okay, it's going to be great. What will be the result of that day with Harry Kane teaching you how to take a penalty? you'll be a slightly better penalty taker. Um, and that'll be a good thing. And maybe next time you play with your friends down the park, you'll you know, be able to show them a thing or two, and it'll be great. Chances are you're not going to be playing uh, in the World Cup four years, in four years' time. Chances are. It's very unlikely. Okay? Would that be fair to say? So it's good, but it's not going to be that good. Just on the flip side, think about this. Think about maybe England did manage to squeeze past Croatia in the semi-finals and England did make it through to the final against France and now imagine Harry Kane is about to take a penalty which will win England the World Cup and you're sitting there and you've got your England shirt on right and you're in with a load of friends and they've got their England shirt on and all of you are thinking this could be it and you've gone through the journey, you've gone through the ups and downs, you've gone through the penalty shootouts that we thought we were going to lose, and then we actually won them. And you're like, yes, this is amazing. And then we came back from behind, and yeah, yada, yada, yada. And here we are. This is the moment. How, does, how do you feel at that point as you kind of look at your T-shirt and you think, I'm wearing the same T-shirt as Harry Kane. I've got his colours on. Um, it's kind of like he's representing my country. It's like he's representing me. I can imagine me, you know, I'm, I'm there. I'm with you. you. You know that feeling, right? Or is that just me? Am I just a weirdo? Yeah, okay. Harry Kane takes the penalty and he scores. What's the result? You go mental, right? You do. I mean, even if you're not football fans, you'll be going mental. The whole nation would be jumping up and down and going absolutely crazy. We're wearing his colours. We're wearing our team shirt. And Harry Kane has done something for us that we get to 
participate in and we get to enjoy. It's like his victory is our victory. It's good. You know what that feels like, right? That's a real thing. You feel it. You feel it. It's quite, you know, people get very emotional. Now, obviously, this is an illustration, okay? It's not a perfect illustration. But the thing I'm trying to bring out is that feeling that is real. When Jesus um, won the victory for us, he represented us. And we're wearing his colors, right? We're part of it, yeah? And so it's, it's, not just a, it's not just a thing we have to think up and kind of believe. We do get to participate uh, in it. Okay, so another whole subject called, um, which is termed union with Christ, understanding that we're, we're part of him. If we're believers in, in, in God, we get to be part of, 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 who, of, of who God is. We get to be brought up into it. So, and that's a reality for us. Okay, and that happens, something that happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. He takes us up into the life of who God is right. because of what Jesus has done. Right. Love it. Next verse, or the second half of this verse. Yeah. Great. So um, I love that because obviously with Harry Kane and England, we, had to, we didn't know, did we? Are they going to win? Aren't they going to win? But we know with Jesus, he actually has done it. So we know we're already on the winning side, which is pretty cool. So my name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Anyone have any clues on what that means? Anyone got any ideas? Come on, shout something out. Don't all rush at once. We have a place in heaven. Good? Yeah, great. He knows who we are. Excellent. Anything else? From this side, that's a bit that side heavy. Come on. No one can bring accusation against us. Great. Jesus has a tattoo. <laughs> Permanently. Yeah, you, you, yeah, anyway. Um, that's good. Okay, good. So last night, obviously, set this song up really well, didn't it? I was like, yes, yes, yes. In fact, I almost was tempted to record it and then just play it for you again today. It's like, this is what it's about. You know, basically, when Jesus went to the cross, he had those nails pierced in. Now, it says that now in heaven, they're still there. So there's still, it's not like when he rose up and he, and he got his heavenly body that all of the kind of stories of uh, all the scar went Actually, I'm standing too close to that monitor. Actually, what happened was the scar stayed, and that actually represents the fact that he remembers and reminds us of what he did for us. Now, when it says, my name is graven on his hands, it's talking about the personal side of God. Because sometimes we can feel like he's this distant God, he's far away, um, you know, it's all right for him up there, but down here, he doesn't know what it's really like. But he's like, no, actually, your name is on my hands. And it's not going to go anywhere, you know, like a tattoo. It's not going to be removed. It's not going to go anywhere. It is for life. And that's the same for Jesus. When he died on the cross, he tattooed, he graved your name on his hands, each one of you. So you can say, my name is engraven on Jesus' hands. Can you just say that? My name is engraven on his hands. So I want you to say your actual name. So I'm going to say, Lou is graven on his hands. So can you just say your name? <laughs> you did that with so much excitement. I can't. It's brilliant. Okay, and then not only that, he didn't just do it because it's like, well, I've got to do it. It's religion. This is what it's about. I must get on with it. So my dad told me I should do it, so I'll get on with it. Actually, what he did, it, your name is graven on his heart. 
So there's a, there's a passion, there's, there's a love for you, there's a desire for you. So he wrote your name on his heart. He didn't just do it because someone else told him to. He didn't just do it because that was the story that had to be. But he went, no, I love you, and so your name is on my heart. So there's this really nice scripture in Romans 5 that says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love that scripture because alongside with some of the other ones we're talking about, it wasn't like, right, when you made it perfect, then I'll die for you so you can get to heaven. It was like, when you actually accept me, then I'll die for you. It was like, no, I'm going to take your name on my hand and on my heart before you even decide that you love me. So you're walking far, far, far away. You're not even looking towards me right now. You're living your own life. You're doing your own thing but I'm going to go to the cross for you so that it's all done, it's all finished. So when you're ready, it's already, it's already for you. Um, I'm going to keep going down here. It's an incredible setup for us, right? So last night we were talking about me about the fact that there is no shame now because Jesus has borne all of our shame. I love that. We, our faces will never be covered in shame because Jesus has borne on our shame. He did that on his hands. He did that in his heart. So the next verse, we're going to keep moving forwards just because of time. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. I love that. Anyone else love that? Hallelujah. It's good. Okay, so how many of you have those moments where you wake up and you feel completely rubbish? Anyone feel like that this morning? Yeah. Okay, so I like the fact he's like, no felt pretty good. Okay, good. I'm glad you did. But sometimes we wake up, don't we? We can feel rubbish. We can feel rubbish because of how we look, how we feel, what someone else has said, something else that we've done. Maybe we just wake up feeling a bit low, okay? But our position in God never, ever changes. So we often get tempted to that point of feeling like rubbish about ourselves and not believing the truth of what God says about you and who God says you are. So, um, we can, we can end up feeling like the guilt or the shame or anything else that's stealing us that day is bigger than what Jesus has done. So what's our choice right at that point? Our choice is that we don't look at ourselves, we don't look down, and maybe even if we're looking in the mirror, we don't just stay there. Actually, we've got to look up and see who God is and take hold of who God is and who we are now in him. We have to go back to that starting position, that correct starting position. So in Hebrews 4, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Now, the good news about this is Nathan was talking about our confidence. We know now why we have confidence. We have confidence because of what Jesus has done, right? But it doesn't just land there because we, we can come at any, any point in our lives because it's, it doesn't say, again, when, you've, when you're all sorted, then you can come to my throne, Because of what Jesus says, it says, let us come that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. That's good news for us this morning. So it means that whatever us, however we feel and whatever else is going on in our lives, whatever junk we're trying to work through, whatever stuff other people are saying over us, whatever you're saying over yourself, 
that free access to God is clear, okay? It's there all the way because of what Jesus has said. So this morning, this afternoon, tomorrow morning, every single moment you breathe, you have the freedom to come before God and find mercy and find grace to help you. He doesn't say, sort it all out and then come and see me. No. He says, listen, I've done it. I know you can't do it by yourself. I know, Lou, you can't do it by yourself. I've, I've had to, I, I remember the gospel in my life over and over again. And sometimes I, I muck up, I do something, right? And I'm going, man, I thought I got that sorted. And then I'm like, well, why does it bother you? You think, you, you think you've got it all sorted because you thought you could save yourself now? Oh, no, I can't save myself. I still can't save myself. I could have the best week ever, and I still can't save myself. I could have the worst week ever. I still can't save myself. I always have to come to the throne to find the mercy, to find the grace that I need to help me. We have to choose to look up, to believe, to remember, and remind ourselves. We need to fix our eyes. We were hearing about last night, weren't we, from Joe, about Jesus being the author and perfecter of our faith. So we need to look to him. We need to remember who he is and catch his gaze. Even recently, I, I was having this, I, don't, I wasn't even stressing out about anything, particularly that I can remember, but I closed my eyes and I felt Jesus looking at me and I kept not wanting to look him in the eye I kept kind of looking away. I don't know if you ever feel like that with somebody. If you've done something wrong, you know, if you look at kids, they're kind of, um, it, you know, I'll pretend it's you. So Jude, have you, have you just done something? And it's like, no, no, I haven't, I haven't done anything. And they don't look you in the eye because they're trying to avoid eye contact. Because the moment you look someone in the eye, you can see quite clearly what's going on, can't you? They say the eyes are the window to the soul. And I've, I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't look Jesus in the eye. And I'm like, I don't really know what's going on because I'm not feeling that in my heart right now, God. But he kept saying to me, look at me, Lou. Look at me. Look at me. And the moment you catch Jesus' eye, he speaks truth into your soul. There's something about his eyes that remind you of his love, that remind you of his care, that remind you that you are welcome here. It's amazing. So I just want you to, right now, before we move on, I want you to close your eyes and imagine that you're coming before Jesus and not just before a throne and not just floating in the sky or clouds or whatever your mind might go to, but I want you to think about the person of who he is and then look him right in the eyes, look up to him and let him speak to you. Otherwise, we could stay here for a while, couldn't we? It's like, oh, yeah. What do you see? What's he saying to you this morning? I've been a Christian for a really long time now, and it's amazing that the truth is the same, and yet it wakes to us in different ways. So it's like Jesus loves you remains the same kind of statement, and yet it's applied at different points in our life and can mean completely different things and touch different areas of our lives. It's amazing. I want you, even this week, before you start the day or at some point in your day, just to take a moment of stillness and close your eyes and fix your eyes on Jesus. And don't just do it once, but I challenge you to do it several times this week just to keep reminding yourself of who it is you're coming to this week, why you're coming to him, and let him speak deep into your soul as you do that. So, 
Moving on. Because the sinless Saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and to pardon me. So we've talked very much about the fact that he is the, he's never sinned. So we said that, didn't we? Um, he was tempted with every respect as we are, but he was without sin. Jesus was sinless and he came there and it says in 1 Peter 3, 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. I'm just going to move this around here. It's interesting, when I was singing it this morning in, in worship, and I was thinking, for God the just is satisfied. It's like, actually, sometimes we think, well, Jesus just, God just pardoned our sins, and that's, the, that's what matters. But no, justice counts to God. It matters to him. The sin had to be dealt with. It wasn't just like, I'm just going to remove it, and that's it. He said, no, the sin has to be dealt with. So I'm going to deal with it by pouring out my um, punishment on Jesus. Now, Nate's going to talk a little bit about the father and, and son kind of punishment thing, because sometimes people can get in a bit of muddle about what that. One, one minute. But it's important to, to know that sin has to be dealt with. It's not just brushed under the carpet. So when we forgive people, it's, the, the transaction of forgiveness has already been dealt with at the cross. So that's how we have the power to forgive. So we don't just have the power to forgive just because we're brushing it under the carpet. Okay? It's because Jesus has dealt with it. And so that's what we stand in. And so I just want to encourage you today. There might be stuff that you're walking through that maybe needs justice. Maybe you need to know that God is a just God. It does say that God will bring justice. Now, a lot of justice actually happened on the cross. And so when we have to forgive, when we have to walk into that, we have to bring it to the cross and throw it on, that, on Jesus for that. But God is a just God. And so that's the, that's the incredible thing, is that Jesus wore it. Now, can you just tell us a little bit, Nath? Because sometimes people get a bit like, well, doesn't that make God a really mean person? Because if he's like poured out all his anger and all of the punishment has gone on Jesus, does that not make him an angry God? Yeah, I think there can just sometimes be a, a misconception that Jesus was a, a kind of innocent bystander. He didn't really know what was going on and he just kind of ended up kind of there being punished by God for, for it. But actually that's not what was going on. The, the, we, uh, the Christian God is, uh, well, we use a word called the Trinity, uh, which isn't actually a, a word in the Bible, but it is a word that helps us to understand what the Bible reveals to us about who God is. Okay, um, And so actually when Jesus went to the cross, he wasn't an innocent one uh, who was an, an innocent bystander who didn't know what was going on. John uh, 10 verses 17 to 18 says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. So this isn't a picture of coming to this uh, far-off God and then the nice Jesus kind of turns up uh, and, 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 and this angry God kind of pours out punishment on, on Jesus without him really having a part to play. No, this was an arrangement. This was a, a plan that was made in eternity with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Jesus had the authority to lay down his life and to take it up again. No one could take that from him. This was something he did willingly. I love that. And, and actually that really helps us when we think about 
approaching this throne, before the throne. Uh, we're not coming to this kind of inaccessible, solitary figure. No, we're being invited into a party. We're being invited into a community, Father, Son, and Spirit, who have enjoyed community together since before, you know, began for eternity. Okay, and that is an amazing thing. So we're being, you know, I like to think of it instead of kind of coming to a, a man on a desk, kind of busy working with his head down and kind of like, can I come close? It's like, no, we're being invited into a group of people who are having a, a great time together, chatting and laughing and going, hey, come here, come and join in what this relationship that we've got. Come and be part of it. We've got a drink waiting for you. Come and, you know, we've got conversation that we want you to be part of. We want to invite you into it. Um, and it's just a really helpful way to begin to kind of change some misconceptions we can have about who God is. Um, yeah, that's that's great, babe. Well done. Um, verse 3. Verse 3. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect, spotless righteousness. The great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased with his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ, my Saviour and my God. Again, I mean, this, this song just is the gospel all the way through, and it covers so many theological things. We can't unpack everything. It's just too massive. But um, a couple of things I want to highlight here. First of all, Jesus is risen. All right? So Harry Kane, he got to the semifinals, but he never actually made it through and won the battle, won the, won the footy match whatever you want to say, World Cup. But Jesus, <laughs> I know, I really care, as you can tell. I did, actually. I, I, I was with it. I was cheering. Yeah. Well, how many girls was it when they got like five or six? In a, which match was that? Which one was it? Panama. Yeah, it was exciting, right? Anyway, Jesus did not stay in the ground. Jesus didn't just die, get some scars on his hands and feel passionate about us and then die for us and take the punishment for us, and then that was it. That was the end of the story. So when the Father, Son, and Spirit came into agreement to say, this is how we're going to rescue them and restore things back to him, actually, uh, we, Jesus had to trust that the Holy Spirit was going to raise him from the dead. There was, a, uh, there was a community of trust that was going on. Okay, So Jesus then rose from the dead, and because he rose from the dead, he then beat the power of sin, of death, of any darkness, of any sickness, of anything, of any fear, of any anxiety, of any worry, of anything that can rob us of any, any joy that we can have in our lives. Jesus broke the power of that over our lives. So he is risen. It reminds us that he was perfect. There was no blemish on him, that he's our righteousness. It reminds us that he's the great unchangeable. So for me, that's like, he's not like us where he has high lows and down, uh, high days and, and low days. He's not like us who can kind of wake up sometimes feeling okay and feeling like you're going to forgive somebody or give permission for something to happen. And then other days you don't want to share things or you don't want to give permission or you don't really feel like it. Jesus never works like that. He is unchangeable in his grace, in his goodness, in his mercy, in his love for us. He is solid as a rock. 
So it reminds us of that. It reminds us that he's the king of glory and of grace. So he's this massive, massive God that is in some ways unreachable, and yet he's made himself reachable for us. And he reminds us that he's the king of grace. So we show each other a little bit of grace every now and again. But if we're tired, or actually we want something more than we like that person or we want to give, actually we end up not being very gracious towards people. Often wrong assumptions is, causes us to not be very gracious to people. We assume the worst rather than the best. And so we're not very gracious. But Jesus doesn't work like that. He is gracious all the time. He nails it. He's the king of being gracious. It's incredible. So, one with himself, I cannot die. Do you want to talk about this bit? My soul is purchased with his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. Okay, so... You, over there, you mentioned that my, um, we now belong to Jesus and nothing can separate us, right? You said that, didn't you, earlier about this song? Do you remember? Yeah, you're both pointing to each other. No, it was her. It was her. Anyway, that's what it is, right? So when Jesus, he, he died his death for you, he rose from the death and beat the power of anything over you. So nothing has a hold over you now because you're Jesus. You belong to Jesus. You're his. Okay, now what happens is when the Father looks at you, he sees what Jesus has accomplished. So you now stand in his righteousness. Does that make sense? So he made you right before God. So when the Father looks at you, when you're coming before him, he doesn't go, hang on a minute, you can't come close because you did this, this, and this today. He goes, ah, oh, it's all right because Jesus has actually purchased you. He's, he's won the battle for you. He's purchased your salvation and so now you belong to him. So when he looks at you, he goes, I see Jesus in you. You belong to him. And it's like you're hidden behind him. So, Nate, stand up. This is probably an easy way of showing. So this is Jesus. Um, and this is me. And so when God looks at, at, at me, he sees him. Does that make sense? That's what it's like, but it's not just that we're, we're hidden by, behind him and so there's, a, there's nothing in that. Actually, we are, it's almost like we become, well, we are one with Jesus, so everything that is Jesus's now belongs to us. So we now receive his freedom, we receive his peace, we, we receive so much more than just kind of being shielded by him, we now belong to him, we're, we're caught up, we're knitted into him, okay? So one with himself now because Jesus cannot die anymore because he's done that and he's risen, now we don't die. So we don't have to worry about death anymore. There are times when things happen and death feels like it's um, going to rob us. We can get anxious about it. I remember I lost my mum when uh, she was quite young and I was quite young. And so there are times sometimes when I get a little bit of a panic, like I don't want to leave my kids. I don't want that to happen to me because I don't want my kids to be left. And I have to remember, no, hang on a minute. Death doesn't win. So even if that for me would be the worst case scenario, actually Jesus has done everything so that that is not the end story. So death doesn't win anymore. Isn't that amazing? Jesus has conquered it. So now we live in the goodness and the fullness of what is done there. It's amazing, okay? So I want to encourage you that, that when we come and worship, 
I was going to say at the beginning, but I was so thrown off by the, all the noise next door, I was like, quick, start. Um, the reason we come and we sing to God is because God, God gives us a voice for a reason. Now, God is a singing God, okay? He loves to sing. And so it says in the Bible that he sings over us, and, and we are made in his image, and so we are a singing people. But what he does is when we lift our voices, he does something in our spirits. He connects something in our spirits. So when we come on a Sunday... And our focus, like we said, sometimes might be distracted or we might, our attention might be somewhere else. When we begin to sing, we remember who God is and we find that our hearts and our minds then are come into alignment of seeing who God is. He wants us to, um, it's like there's a spiritual awakening that happens when we come to him on a Sunday or whenever you come. So it's not just a case of, well, this is what we've always done. This is the order of service, so we're just going to, we've got the preach, we've got the Bible reading, we've got the singing, tick, 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 tick. No, God is doing something in our spirits every time we come to him. We need to come with faith that God is going to change us. It says in the Bible that when we, when we come to him, the veil is removed, so there's nothing hiding him and nothing standing between us. And it says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And when we behold him, actually we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So when you come on a Sunday, rather than it just being, or this week, when you come during the week, it's not just like, well, it's time, meeting time, right, we're going to go and sing a few songs, I hope they do move like this, I hope they do this one, I hope they do that one. It's like, it's, it's more than that. Actually, the Holy Spirit is at work all the time. And he is hungry to meet with you. And actually, when you come and you worship and you remember and you start going, oh, yeah, that's who you are. Oh, yeah, that's who you are. Oh, I need to bring this bit before you. Oh, I, or, or like we come sometimes feeling guilty or we come with shame. Actually, what God wants to do is he wants to bring freedom. So when we sing to him, when we sing truth about who he is, there's a spiritual transformation happening. There's a shift happening in you and in the room. Okay, so we need to come with expectation that as we sing truth, as we come before him, God is at work. It's not let's hope he shows up. So we come, sometimes I know we sing, we invite you, we welcome you here, all that sort of thing. That's a posture of the heart. He's already there. He's already here. He's here right now. We closed our eyes. I didn't have to kind of magic something up for us to meet with God. No, we just have to wait on him have to spend time looking at him and then we go oh yeah that's who you are and so that's why when we come together and we sing these songs of truth actually what they're doing is they're causing our hearts and our minds to connect with God so that we can remember and move forwards God actually doesn't want us to live in fear he doesn't want us to live in anxiety he doesn't want us to wake up and have rubbish days he doesn't want us to wake up and feel like we're failures again so what he says is, come to me where you find mercy, you find grace in your hour of need. Remember that I'm the great unchangeable, that I am the great I am. Remember that your name is on my hands, which means that you don't need to do anything, you don't need to prove anything, you don't need to climb up a ladder to reach me. It's already there. Your name's on my heart, so I'm ready for you. And I want to transform you by the power of my spirit every time you come to me. And sometimes he does it outside of that, I know. But that is what's happening when we worship. There is a spiritual act happening. 
Isn't that amazing? It's absolutely amazing. And in, within that, he's not saying the spiritual act happens if you sing really well or if you sing loudly or if you get all the words right. It's like actually where God is, there the spirit of freedom is. And actually as we gaze on him, then we will be transformed. It's a promise. We will be transformed. You will be transformed. I will be transformed. I come with expectation now. Every time I come to worship him, whether it's on my own, whether I'm walking around the park, whether I'm in the car, whether I'm at home, whether I'm in a big top with 6,000 people, whether I'm in a smaller environment, whether I'm at a local church, God is there. God is here. God is with us. God is in us. We now belong to him. And so I come with expectation that his spirit is going to transform me. So the worries, the cares, the anxieties, the things that have caught my attention, the things that I've maybe made a bit more God than they should be, he, as we come and fix our eyes on him, will transform us. How many of you would like to be transformed this week? How many of you have got stuff that's going on that actually you don't really want to live under anymore? Maybe it's something that you're feeling, maybe it's something you're doing, Maybe it's, it could be all sorts of things. The power of God is, is here to transform and renew and bring hope and bring light and bring restoration because God has accomplished everything required to make it possible. He's done it all. So last night when we heard about shame, we don't have to carry that shame anymore because he's done it all. We don't ever have to feel punishment from God. He will never punish you because he punished Jesus. Never. Now, there might be a few consequences to what we do sometimes, but actually he will never punish you because Jesus bore all of your punishment. Now, does that mean that we just go around, you know, doing whatever we like because, yay, God's not going to punish me? No, actually what it does is it wins your heart. You go, wow, if you're that kind of God, I want to run after you as hard as I can because no one else looks at me that way. Because if you're like me, I can sometimes believe the worst of somebody before the best. No one else will treat me the way that God treats me. No one else will love me the way that God loves me. Because I know that I'm flawed, which is why I need him. So I want him in my life. I'm thankful that I can never actually make the mark because Jesus has done it all. All of it. it. He has made an end to all of it. Amazing, hey? 